0: Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber or making a donation at Mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, the Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States and go towards keeping the podcast alive. One, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon, on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, the Jubilee celebration. Well, it is now the end of 2018. It is a time for retrospection on the past year. And also, at the end of 2018, I have hit the 50-episode mark of Radio Free Mormon. So, what I'm going to be doing tonight is looking back not only on 2018 and developments in Radio Free Mormon, but I'm going to be going back over the prior 50 episodes, not in detail and not naming them all, but simply to give a retrospective and let you, the audience, know about some things that have been going on behind the scenes, things that you may find of interest. Also, I am going to be updating the McKenna Denson lawsuit. It has been a while, since I've talked about the McKenna-Denson lawsuit, and I want to give you an update as a number of listeners have emailed me asking what is going on with the lawsuit and specifically what is going on with the appeal that Radio Free Mormon, along with others, is pursuing regarding the BYU Police Department releasing a full and unredacted copy of their police reports as well as audio copies of the interviews they did with McKenna-Denson and also with Joseph Bishop. Going back to 2016, the month was October, I had been listening to Bill Reel's Mormon Discussions podcast for some time prior to that. And at this point in time, Bill Reel was soliciting for new podcasters to take some of the pressure off of Bill Reel. I answered that solicitation, we made contact, and Bill Reel was kind enough to tutor me in how to do a podcast. I had no idea how to do a podcast it was all greek to me but bill real was very kind very gracious very generous with his time and experience and taught me step-by-step how to obtain the software necessary to do a podcast how to get a microphone necessary to do a podcast and how to use the software for doing a podcast i remember a saturday morning back in october of two thousand and sixteen when I came down to my underground bunker, getting prepared to record my first ever podcast. I had done a great deal of research in preparation for recording, as you may or may not recall. It dealt with an analysis of Boyd K. Packer's famous talk, The Mantle is far, far greater than the intellect. I had done hours of research, my notes were ready, all I had to do was sit down and record. And I felt confident that with Bill Reel's instruction that he had already given me, I would be able to do this in no time flat. Well, about two hours later, after my initial attempt, I was extremely frustrated. I was almost in tears. And I called Bill on the phone, telling him that I would never be able to do a podcast, that I simply could not get past the first minute or two. And then I went back and deleted because I made some kind of flub up, I made some kind of error, and I had to start over again. Bill Reel was very kind, very nice, and he told me, Radio Free Mormon, don't hit delete. Never delete your podcast. Just let it keep running and you will be able to edit it later. Well I had never edited anything. On a podcast prior to this and for some reason I think I had it in my mind that I had to sit down and record an hour to an hour and a half episode with absolutely no mistakes from start to finish and then it would be done that was an unrealistic expectation on my part as I came to find out and it speaks somewhat to one of my failings which is this sense of perfectionism I feel that everything I do has to be absolutely perfect or at least I did so at the time. And as those of you who have been members of the church or who are currently members of the church, you can understand that after having been a member of the LDS Church for several decades, the least I can say is that I came by my perfectionism, honestly. Well, it wasn't easy. I finally got done recording that podcast. And then I went back and I edited the hell out of it. If you go back and listen to episode one, you will find that I edited out basically every single space between words so that it sounds like I take a deep breath at the very beginning of the episode and I go on for over an hour without ever taking another breath. I have relaxed a little bit since then. Although I still edit quite a bit, I still prepare a great deal in advance of doing a podcast. This is in complete contrast to how Bill Real does his podcasts. I am very envious of Bill Real. What Bill Real does is he sits down and he makes a few notes. He makes a brief outline. He writes down three or four points that he wants to make in his podcast. He hits record and he records his podcast. And when he is done, he does very little, if any, editing. And his podcast is ready to go from start to finish. It basically takes the time to write out the outline and then go ahead and record it, and then put it up. Me, on the other hand, I take hours just preparing and writing out and copying pages and pages of notes before a podcast. And then after I record it, I end up spending about three times as much time editing as I did recording in the first place. I envy Bill Reel's articulateness and his ability to put out podcasts the way Stephen King puts out novels. By which I mean, they are very well thought out, they are very well articulated, and he is able to put them out like clockwork. And so that you, the audience, know, this podcast, I am actually trying to do it the way that Bill Real does his podcasts. I have only a few notes that I have written down, and I'm going to go off of those. Because this is a retrospective, and because I'm not going to be quoting anybody, or at least not very much, in this podcast, I have very few notes. Notes: Most of this is done from memory because these are things I actually experienced like the story I am telling you right now. One of the most popular episodes that I did in the first 50 podcasts that I recorded was called Wrong Roads. It was an examination of a seminary video in which Elder Holland talked about a story featuring him and his young son many years ago when they got lost on the labyrinthine roadways in the desert of Southern Utah. That episode got a great deal of favorable response. In fact, I think that Bill Reel says it is his favorite episode so far in the series. The funny thing about it was that that episode, bar none, required the least work and time for me to record, to edit, and to get published on Bill Reel's website so there's definitely no correlation between the amount of time I have to do in preparation and recording and editing versus the popularity of a particular podcast. So as I say I began this podcast in October of 2016. It ran through the year of 2017 and much to my surprise this podcast won the Brody Award for Best New Podcast of 2017. The Brody Awards are awards that are done for Mormon-themed podcasts and sometimes for essays and other writings. It is put out through a website called Wheat and Tares, and it has been going now for about 10 years. Well, much to my surprise, earlier in 2018, much earlier in 2018, I found out that I had been nominated for the Best New Podcast, and then not long after that, the ballots were counted, and Radio Free Mormon ended up being the winner in the category of Best Podcast new podcast radio free mormon came in with a sizable plurality of the vote at 40.48 percent and that is out of a number of podcasts that were in contention there were six podcasts in contention in addition to radio free mormon seven in all so 40.48 percent was a number with which i was very pleased and i was very flattered and i want to take this opportunity to thank each and every listener who voted for radio free mormon in the Brody Awards for 2017. I did not mention this at the time on the podcast but since I'm doing a retrospective now I thought it would be a good time to bring it up. Also in June of 2018 I did a podcast called Selling Your Soul for Apologetics in which I took Professor Daniel C. Peterson of Brigham Young University to task for what I believe to be a misrepresentation on his part which he wrote in his regular column for the Deseret News. In that column, you may recall, he was talking about the different accounts of the First Vision. And he stated in that article, flatly, that there has been no suppression with regard to the First Vision accounts. Well, Episode 3 that I had done went over in some detail the fact that there was indeed a great deal of suppression with regard to the 1832 account of the first vision. That it was discovered in the 1930s or thereabout by the church historian and apostle, Joseph Fielding Smith, that it was cut out of the letter book in which it was contained and then was stored in his safe in his office and kept from prying eyes. In fact, he would not let other church leaders see it unless they had authority from the top leadership of the church word of the existence of this unusual account of the first vision leaked to the public in the nineteen sixties and then after some pressure was put on the church publicly joseph fielding smith or someone at his direction retrieved the 1832 account of the first vision from his safe taped it back into the letter book from which he had cut it three decades earlier and then took steps to make it available to the public as if there had never been any suppression Whatsoever. So it was with this background that my eyebrows raised when I saw Daniel C. Peterson alleging in the Deseret News that there had been no suppression whatsoever with regard to the First Vision account. And I took that opportunity to do a podcast to call out Daniel C. Peterson on what I believe to be a misrepresentation on his part. Not long after that, I was very, very happy to see Ryan McKnight of Mormon Leaks fame post on his Facebook page a brief message regarding that podcast. He posted this on June eleventh, two 2018 and this is what Ryan McKnight said about that podcast. Every once in a while there comes along a podcast that goes down as being a must listen for anyone interested in Mormonism. The top one on my list is the epic Mormon expression episode titled How to Build a Transoceanic Vessel. This episode of Radio Free Mormon may have just secured the second spot on that list. Well, Radio Free Mormon is number two, but we try harder. It is not so much about the specific theme of the multiple First Vision accounts, but the systematic dismantling of the apologetic method at the hands of the host. Well done, exclamation point. Thank you very much, Ryan McKnight, for those kind words. Once again, I did not mention this in June when I first saw that Ryan McKnight had posted this. I am somewhat averse to patting myself on the back. But since this is a retrospective, I thought it would be a good time to look back with fond memories on things that have happened in 2018 as well as during the first 50 episodes of Radio Free Mormon. I do need to mention at this point, however, that Professor Daniel C. Peterson was aware of the allegation that I made in my podcast from last June, calling him out for being deceptive in stating in his article that there has been no suppression regarding the accounts of the first vision. I called him out on that. It came to his attention in short order. He posted about his reaction to my allegation, but he never once admitted it or denied it or sought in any way to try and explain how it was that he was not intentionally being deceptive when he wrote that. Instead, what he said over and over again was he just didn't have the time to respond to it, as if it would take a great deal of time to simply admit it or deny it or explain it in a couple of sentences. To be fair, Daniel Peterson actually did deny being deceptive. The problem is that he has not taken the time to explain how it was that he was not being deceptive when it was pretty obvious to me and to many of my listeners that he was in fact being deceptive and I think that an apologist and a professor at BYU of Daniel C. Peterson's standing owes it to his audience to explain how it was that he was not intentionally trying to deceive them. It has now been half a year since Daniel Peterson was aware of this allegation from my podcast from last June. He apparently still has not found the time to explain why it is that he was not being intentionally deceptive and as fair warning and collegial warning I give this warning directly to Professor Peterson with good wishes that if he does not find time by the time a year rolls around this coming June I may indeed be forced to do a part two of that podcast and call him out yet once again. It's bad enough to be deceptive in the first place. But then he is compounding the original deception by a second deception, which is that he'll get around to answering the first deception when he has time, when it's starting to look more and more like he has no intention of ever getting around to it. So we'll see what happens by June of this year. Please, Dr. Peterson, if you're listening, don't make me do a part two. Don't make me come back there. Another thing that listeners to the podcast will have noticed is that recently, more and more frequently, Bill Reel and I are teaming up to do podcasts together. We had done a few of these historically, usually relating to general conference talks, but in the past six months, there has been a rather steady and increasing stream of podcasts in which we make joint efforts. The reason for this is that behind the scenes, Bill Briel and I speak on the phone with some regularity. We talk about different aspects of Mormonism, we talk about things that are happening currently in Mormonism as well as things that have happened historically in Mormonism and we have some rather interesting conversations and at one point we thought maybe, maybe others might be interested in listening in to our conversations. So that idea was the beginning of the series of podcasts that Bill Reel and I are doing. We've done them recently on the Book of Abraham. We have done them on Elder Henry J. Eyring, the president of BYU-Idaho. His talk about how to deal with questions and doubts about the church and its leaders. We did a podcast about Stephen Harper from the Church Historian's Office when he did a videotaped interview on the Mormon Channel titled how to deal with questions about church history when ironically after listening to the entire interview the title should have actually been how to avoid dealing with questions about church history and we also did a podcast which was an analysis of the devotional in which elder cook was involved from nauvoo outside the temple it was a young adult devotional in which he and two members of the church historian's office dealt with questions about church history interestingly enough to me and bill This was a one-part, three-hour podcast in which we went to town and had a great deal of fun dismantling this entire devotional. And the thing that's interesting about it is that, bar none, this episode received the most downloads from listeners. There appears to be something about church history that is of great interest to the listeners of Radio Free Mormon and Mormon Discussions. And so, with that understanding, we will forge ahead and continue to try and do additional episodes dealing with various aspects of church history, and hence the most recent two-part episode about the Book of Abraham, and specifically Book of Abraham Apologetics. The funny thing about the Book of Abraham podcast is that the event that precipitated our doing the podcast was an article written by Carrie Muelstein, a Mormon Egyptologist for the December 2018 issue of the Enzyme magazine in which he talks about Book of Abraham apologetics and that article in the Enzyme got us so interested again in the subject that we went back, blew the dust off the old books, cracked them open, reviewed a great deal of old material to bring it fresh to mind and we did a two-part episode on the Book of Abraham and its apologetics. And at the end of the second part, I mentioned to Bill, you know what's funny is that it's this article by Carrie Muelstein that got us going on this whole podcast, and we never even got around to talking about the article written by Carrie Muelstein. So in the works, we have planned a part three to that episode in which we will finally get around to talking about that article by Carrie Muelstein. And I think that you will find it fascinating. It does appear that there is a line that apologists, or at least some apologists, are willing to cross when it comes to defending the faith, and the line I'm talking about is the line of deception. Kerry Muhlstein, it appears, is one of the apologists who is willing to cross the line of deception in order to defend the church, and that as long as his goal is to defend the church, deception is no vice. Another huge event that took a great deal of time and a number of episodes at Radio Free Mormon was the bombshell allegations that came out in March of 2018 from McKenna Denson that she had been raped in the basement of the Missionary Training Center when she was there as a sister missionary back in early 1984 and that she was raped at the hands of none other than the president of the Missionary Training Center at the time whose name is Joseph Bishop. I have done a number of episodes regarding that story and I have also been very much involved in seeking to obtain from the BYU Police Department an unredacted copy of their police reports that they generated from their investigation of this case. As you will recall, the BYU Police Department initially issued their nine pages of police reports, which were almost completely redacted, which means they were almost completely blacked out. There was hardly anything in the nine pages that could be read. The media pushed back on the BYU Police Department, and in short order, they released a much less redacted copy of those police reports, and yet there were still several sentences that were completely redacted that they could not be read through additional investigative efforts on my part i found out that behind some of those lines is the fact that there was an audio recording that was made of the interview that the police did with joseph bishop apparently the byu police department or whoever was pulling their strings did not want the public to know that there was an audio recording Of the interview that police did with Joseph Bishop back in early December of 2017. In addition to that, another thing that BYU police had redacted that I found out about through alternative sources was the fact that McKenna Denson had submitted her own multi-page written statement of her version of events. So when the police released their police reports, not only did they not release McKenna Denson's written statement. They also redacted the part of the police report that referred to the existence of McKenna Denson's written statement. It appeared clear to me that the BYU police did not want the public to know that McKenna Denson had submitted a written statement, which of course made me wonder why that would be. Then I was able to obtain a copy of McKenna Denson's written statement that she had provided to the police which they did not want the public to know about. And after reviewing it, I figured out in pretty short order why it was that the BYU Police Department did not want the public to know about the existence of her written statement. And that was because in her written statement, she mentioned meeting with an apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who had to clear her before she could go out on her mission after having suffered a mental and nervous breakdown because of being raped by Joseph Bishop at the MTC and that Apostle's name was none other than Thomas S. Monson who at the time of the investigation of this matter was president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So having satisfied myself that there was a reason that the BYU Police Department did not want the public to know about the existence of McKenna Denson's written statement And obviously the reason they don't want the public to know about the existence is because if the public knows about the existence and they'll start requesting a copy of that written statement, then they'll have to provide it, then they'll have to redact more. It gets messy. It's much easier for the police department just to not let the public know that additional information exists that is in their possession, that is part of their investigation, which somebody apparently thinks might be compromising to the LDS church. Well, having found that much out about the written statement by McKenna Denson, it redoubled my interest in what might be present in the recorded statement of the interview BYU Police did with Joseph Bishop in early December of 2017. That audio recording has not been made public. And so, although I cannot say with any specificity as to what that audio recording might contain, I will bet you my bottom dollar. That there is at least one more bombshell contained in that audio recording of the interview with Joseph Bishop and that that is why the BYU police does not want to release the tape and did not even want the public to know about its existence in the first place but as I have mentioned things have a way of leaking out and things have leaked out and so knowledge of the recording and its existence is out there in fact it formed the basis for a public records request to BYU by Radio Free Mormon as well as Mormon Leaks and others. We wanted to find out what exactly that audio recording contained. So we did a records request to the BYU Police Department Custodian of Records. That was denied. We then appealed it within the police department as the procedure requires to the Chief of Police, Larry Stott. Larry Stott denied it as well. We then appealed it to the Utah State Records Committee. And we had a hearing on that issue in the summer of 2018. And at the end of that hearing, the Utah Records Committee granted our request for a copy, not only of the unredacted police reports, but also of the recording of the interview with Joseph Bishop. Now, a number of people have been asking since that time what has been going on with this appeal. Have you received a copy of the audio recording yet? Have you received a copy of the unredacted police reports yet? Well the answer to that is no and that's why I want to update you a bit on that situation. You may recall that there was a similar lawsuit that was already winding its way up through the courts in Utah. The specific issue having to do with whether the BYU Police Department is subject to the Utah Public Disclosure Act, which is called in Utah GRAMA, G-R-A-M-A, and I believe that stands for Government Records Accountability and Management Act. At any rate, it's the public records request statute that is operative in the state of Utah. Prior to this, the Utah Records Committee had ruled that BYU was not subject to GRAMA, and this was in a case that was brought by the Salt Lake Tribune, and it had to do with a BYU student who was off-campus, who was sexually assaulted by a male, and who then reported this to the BYU police. Now, drinking was involved, apparently, and that is, of course, against the honor code of BYU, but this female student reported it to the BYU police, and the BYU police apparently shared that information with the honor code office at BYU. We don't know that that's a case. All that we know is that this female student, after reporting it to the police department, but not reporting it to the honor code office, ends up being hauled in by the honor code office for a violation of the honor code by drinking off campus. Which raised the question of how much information is the BYU police department, ostensibly a criminal investigative agency, sharing its information with the BYU honor code office, not a criminal investigative agency. Were lines crossed there? Was there information shared that should not have been shared? So the Salt Lake Tribune brought an action requesting information and documents and emails from the BYU Police Department related to this to see if they could track it down. BYU police said, no thanks. We're not giving you anything because we are not subject to the Public Disclosure Act in Utah. The Salt Lake Tribune then appealed that ruling up to the district court in Utah. So this is the first time a judge is getting a look at it. The judge in that case was just about to rule whether BYU was subject to the Public Disclosure Act at the same time that we were having the hearing in front of the Records Committee regarding the police reports in McKenna Denson's case. Without going back into too much detail, again, if you want detail, please go back and listen to the prior podcast relating to this. But what happened is, is that in the Salt Lake Tribune case, the district court judge said, yes, BYU is subject to the Public Disclosure Act. Of course, BYU is appealing that decision in the Salt Lake Tribune case, and that is going up to the Supreme Court in the state of Utah. My understanding is that the Utah State Supreme Court has accepted direct review of that case. So that issue is going to be ruled on by the Supreme Court in Utah on the prior case involving the Salt Lake Tribune. So what does that have to do with the current case with McKenna Denson? Well, the issue is the same. The issue is whether the BYU Police Department is subject to the Public Disclosure Act. So there are different levels of appeal from the state records committee. The first level is to the district court. From there my understanding is that there is an intermediate court of appeals and above the court of appeals is the Supreme Court. So BYU appealed the ruling by the state records committee that was in our favor that said the BYU police had to release the audio recording and an unredacted copy of the police reports in McKenna Denson's case. They appealed that to the next step in the appeal process which is the district court level. So what all the parties agreed to was that because this prior case is already going up to the Supreme Court on the same issue that we would stay McKenna Denson's case and that public disclosure request in District Court. All the parties agreed we'll just park it there and wait to see what happens with the prior case because it makes absolutely no sense for everybody in the McKenna-Denson case to go through all the briefing, all the argument in district court, then appeal it to the Court of Appeals, then appeal it to the Supreme Court in Utah when the Supreme Court in Utah has already accepted review of a prior case that deals with the exact same issue. So what will happen then is once the Supreme Court in Utah rules on the issue, that will be dispositive of what happens with the McKenna-Denson Public Disclosure Act request that is parked in the district court. Level. If the Utah Supreme Court says, yes, the BYU Police Department is subject to GRAMA, the Public Disclosure Act request, then they will, in effect, also be affirming our win at the state records committee. And the district court judge, who is bound to give full effect to anything the Supreme Court of Utah says, We'll then enter a judgment saying yes we do get those documents and yes we do get those recordings if on the other hand the utah supreme court says no byu police department is not subject to the public disclosure act of utah that will reverse the decision by the state records committee and we will not be able to get an unredacted copy of the police reports and a copy of the audio taped interview with joseph bishop Where are things in McKenna Denson's case? Well, depositions have gone forward. McKenna Denson's attorney has already deposed Joseph Bishop. McKenna Denson also has a deposition scheduled with Ron Levitt, McKenna Denson's former bishop. And very interestingly, the original deposition that was scheduled with Ron Levitt was postponed because Ron Levitt himself got an attorney, and the attorney made a motion to the judge in that case saying that Ron Levitt should not be deposed by McKenna Denson's attorney why because according to Ron Levitt's attorney Ron Levitt has dementia and this is not a recent state of affairs for Ron Levitt he has been suffering from progressive dementia for several years now the reason I find this interesting is because if true it tends to undermine what Joseph Bishop said back in March of 2018 when he was interviewed on TV when he stated he remembered McKenna Denson coming to him with allegations of a sexual nature against Joseph Bishop, but he remembered them quite differently than what McKenna Denson reports. If Ron Levitt had dementia then, how much weight can we put on his recollection of what he says McKenna Denson said to him back in 1987? over 30 years before. That motion, by the way, by Ron Levitt's attorney was denied by the judge and Ron Levitt will be deposed in January of 2019 by McKenna Denson's attorney. I will continue to keep you briefed as new developments arise in the McKenna Denson lawsuit. And, of course, no retrospective of the year 2018 would be complete without at least recognizing the excommunication of Bill Reel. That has received a great deal of attention lately. I interviewed Bill Reel on this program about his excommunication shortly before the Disciplinary Council. I can only say in summary that Bill Reel handled himself magnificently at the Disciplinary Council and the decision to excommunicate Bill from the LDS church signals that the LDS church is more comfortable having liars among the leadership of the church than they are in having truth-tellers among the general membership. This has been a lot of fun for me thinking back on the year of 2018 and on the first 50 podcasts of Radio Free Mormon. It is a significant number. I had no real idea when I started out that I would actually make it as far as 50 but having gotten this far I want to assure you I have not even come close to running out of things to say about Mormonism and even if I were to come to that point Mormonism itself has this wonderful habit of generating on a regular basis new wonderful and often controversial things for me to talk about so Here's to the next 50 episodes of Radio Free Mormon Podcast. Here's to the year 2019. I hope that you will continue to listen. I hope that you will find it as enjoyable as it has been in the past. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.